Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on Legal Talk Network. Today's episode is about people. Um, as you know, we sometimes talk about marketing and sales and sometimes about physical plant, and sometimes about financials. But today we're talking about people, particularly people that work in your law firm business and how together they promote and create a culture in your business, whether you intentionally foment that culture or not. So the title today is Putting Culture First, How and Why to Intentionally Create Yours. And my guest is Eric Farber. Now, Eric is the CEO and Chief Legal Officer of the Pacific Workers' Compensation Law Center. He is on a mission to change how law firms operate by showing lawyers the value of putting culture first. During his 25 years as a lawyer, he has lived the transformation from scarcity to abundance that becomes possible when you shift your perspective and prioritize people. Um, Eric's focus on culture helped him to build his seven-figure firm that's gone from four people to 40 in just five years. He's been an Inc. 5000 company twice, was a Bay Area 100 list of fastest-growing companies, and he spent two years in the top 50 of the law firm 500. And of course, I am your host, Christopher Anderson. I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers achieve success with their law firm businesses. In the Unbillable Hour, every month, we explore an area important to help you be a more profitable lawyer through growing your revenues, getting back more of your time, and or getting more professional satisfaction from your business. The Unbillable Hour is dedicated to bringing you guests each month to help you learn more about how to make your law firm business work for you instead of the other way around. But before we get started, it's time to do a little business. I want to say thank you to the sponsors who make this show possible, Alert Communications, Scorpion, and Law Clerk. Thank you to each for giving us the opportunity to spend this time together. Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7-365, just call 866-827-5568. Scorpion is the leading provider of marketing solutions for the legal industry. With nearly 20 years of experience serving attorneys, Scorpion can help grow your practice. Learn more at scorpionlegal.com. Law Clerk, where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Visit lawclerk.legal to learn how to increase your productivity and your profits by working with talented freelance lawyers. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is putting culture first. And my guest is Eric Farber, and he's the CEO and Chief Legal Officer of Pacific Workers' Compensation Law Center. And Eric, welcome to the Unbillable Hour. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And before we get started, I do also want to remind folks, or not remind folks, because I haven't said anything about it yet, but I want to tell folks, um, we might sound a little different today. I am not in my usual studio for the unbillable hour, so I'm sure the sound is a little bit different, and, and Eric is not uh, in his usual place to do these things. So I'm working from my kitchen um, in New York City. You may even hear sirens or something outside, and Eric is, uh, I think you're working from home as well. Is that right? My My dining room table. There we go. So yeah, if you hear a dog or a siren or something, <laughs> just understand that we're all um, doing what you need to be doing too. So we're, you know, we're getting it done. We're finding the opportunities out there and uh, not letting the uh, significant inconveniences 
that exist to deter us from bringing you this show. So I welcome everybody and I welcome you, Eric. I'm notorious, of course, for giving fairly inadequate introductions. So I thought uh, we'd just start today with uh, asking you just to tell a little bit more about uh, about your business, about the uh, Pacific Workers' Compensation Law Center, and also what brought you to this topic of culture. What about your background before we actually get into it? What led you to want to write about it and want to talk about it? Well, I've only been doing this workers' comp uh, at Pacific Workers for about five years, a little more than five years. Prior to that, I was actually a sports and entertainment lawyer for over 20 and um, had basically started out in uh, representing in their legal life athletes, entertainers. And that actually led me to work in Hollywood for quite some time. I worked at one of the talent agencies. I worked at Sony Pictures and then came back 20 years ago, I think it is, and set up shop to be a lawyer again. I actually wasn't practicing law when I was at uh, Sony Pictures in the talent mm-hmm. agency. And I was again, representing athletes and entertainers and really was one of those 80 hour a week people, 24 seven, you know, availability traveled a couple of hundred days a year. And I actually got to a point where my body was completely breaking down at a very young age and had a terrible back and, and ended up in emergency surgery in Buffalo, New York in the dead of winter there for a case for an NFL player and realized I had to start doing something different and decided to start a business more than being a lawyer, which Mm -hmm. I think many, many lawyers are sort of high priced hobbies, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's the theme of what we do here. It's just to help, help lawyers understand that, you know, like it or not, (laughs) you are in a business, you're a business owner. Yeah. And uh, so I really started crafting something different at that point. My work in with all the athletes, because I had represented probably a couple hundred athletes, had led me to the stuff about CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and decided- And just for everybody, that's that's the disease that the, like football players get from getting hit a lot, right? The, correct, from, correct. From, Concussion diseases. Yeah. And so it led me to workers' comp for professional athletes, and it was sort of easy to pivot into that. I hired somebody that knew how to do that kind of work and started doing workers' comp for these, for my- current clients have just sort of pivoted to a new thing for them. And that we started to do okay. And I said, okay, this is working. And I like the fact that I don't know how to do those cases. Um, (laughs) So you're not tempted. (laughs) So I'm not like actually working them. Yeah. And so we started doing broad-based workers comp, community-based, which is what I say, you know, which is first responders, truck drivers, retail workers, restaurant workers, healthcare workers. And we partnered with Scorpion. I'm going to plug your sponsor (laughs) here because we found Scorpion, thankfully, and they have been phenomenal. And we we started getting in cases beyond imagination and we started to grow. And all of a sudden I was managing a company that was far bigger than, you know, my previous incarnation in companies, which the biggest I'd ever gotten to was about 12 people. And all of a sudden here I was and it was going and it was real. And I started digging in as a business owner out of fear, probably like, oh my God, you know, this is a real company. And I started digging in and and reading as much as I possibly could. I'm up to now about 40 to 50 books a year. And really all the real thought leaders of today's world as business 2.0, as I call it, it all came back to culture. 
And so I started looking at it in different ways and really started building a fabric together of so many different thought leaders on what this means to a law firm. And I'm good friends with Michael Muggle from Chris Video. And Michael and I talked quite a, quite a bit. He put me on stage at one of his uh, at one of his conferences, and uh, got off the stage. and He said, "Let me hook you up with my publisher. You need to write this down." And that's sort of how the book happened. Excellent. Well, that's really cool. And uh, yeah, so that that and the book just for everybody again. I think I mentioned it, but it's the case for culture. For maybe you can tell me. I don't have the. It's got a subtitle. What, what's that subtitle again? It's a how to grow, how to stop being a slave to your law firm, grow your practice, and actually be happy. Yes, indeed. So, but yeah, but uh, you can find it easily enough as uh, the case for culture on Amazon or your your favorite bookseller. And so you decided to, I mean, you basically, you've been talking about it. You've been talking to thought leaders about what culture means for a law firm. And then you decided to put it down in this book. And, you know, when I describe the title of the show, because uh, I think one of the things that, that people mistake when, when, we, when people talk about culture and then how important it is, you know, if you, I think you mentioned in your book, Peter Drucker's quote, culture is processed for lunch um, or for breakfast. I always forget which meal it is for. Culture strategy, strategy for yeah. breakfast. Yes. Yeah, breakfast. Right. And uh, <laughs> but but so people are like, oh well, dude, we need to get some culture. But what people don't understand is every law firm, every business has culture. You, if you ignore it, it's not like you don't have it. It's just you don't usually have the one you want. Great. So can you just talk a little bit about what 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 from your perspective, from your learning, from these thought leaders you've talked to, what does culture mean in the context of a law firm? What does it really mean? Well, I think it means kind of the same thing in the in the context of any business, but sure. in law firms and basically service businesses that have sort of degreed professionals, you know, whether that's a medical office or a dentist's office or or uh, an accounting firm, are all going to kind of face the same thing because generally what you see is a caste system, and it's particularly bad in places like medical offices and and law firms. Because I think a lot of law firms separate people. I tell a great story in, a bu- in the book about doing a case years ago for a actually very famous NFL player down in Atlanta. And, they, and I got to the office there and uh, they all were calling me Mr. Farber. Yes, I read that. That was yeah. uh, <laughs> I've had that experience as well. And you you yeah. actually tried to correct that, but it didn't go well. No, it actually didn't go well. They they pulled me aside the next day and said, "Would you please make sure that they call you by your last name? We want to make sure we 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 delineate between lawyers and everybody else." And I just couldn't believe that, right? And that was year that was many years ago actually. Sure. So, you know, culture in a law firm is about making sure that everybody feels valued is a start. But also, you know, it's a it's a mix of being disciplined in your processes, being disciplined in in your brand, being disciplined in in how people answer the phone. It's making sure that you're putting forth an exact discipline of how every single thing is done in the law firm, but then making feel, people feel feel valued, making sure that people understand that just because you're not a lawyer, that you have growth opportunities there if everybody is on board and really bringing people together as a team. And I think one of the things that I really did in this, in getting to this is, I read a lot of books on team dynamics. Sure. Uh, one of the best ones, Sam Walker's, you know, the captain class, and really looking at things almost from statistical analysis, right? What makes the best team? What are the best practices for communication? 
what are the best practices for, you know, making people feel heard and listened to, you know, Brene Brown's work on this stuff is unbelievable. And then Simon Sinek, you can't ignore what Simon Sinek has, has sort of done. And now I'm in the middle of his, his latest book on this stuff. So really culture is, and I call it a 360 culture because you're looking at it and saying, you as a leader have people to take care of and you want to do it so everybody realizes that they have growth opportunities, that they have somebody to look to, that there's a set of values that everybody can share and a mission that you can all be on together. Yeah, then I think when, when you make sure that everybody feels taken care of, then they also feel, I guess, that the culture is or the, the standard way of behaving is that we all take care of each other Very and we take so. care of our customers, and which is, of course... Yeah. Very important as well. I I have a saying, uh, you know, if I sum it all up is uh, your job as the leader is to take care of the employees, the employees take care of the clients and the clients take care of everybody. Yeah. I think that's exactly a way to think about it. Um, We're talking here today with Eric Farber. He's a CEO and chief legal officer of Pacific Workers Compensation Law Center. I keep wanting to say workers comp. Um, And we're also talking about his book, um, most specifically, uh, The Case for Culture. Um, When we come back, um, I'm going to ask Eric to talk a little bit about the distinction he makes between stakeholders and shareholders. And we'll talk more about culture. But before that, we'll hear from our sponsors. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things for your firm. Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Law Clerk is where attorneys go to hire freelance lawyers. Whether you need a research memo or a complicated appellate brief, our network of freelance lawyers have every level of experience and expertise. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. Only pay the flat fee price you set. Use rebate code UNBILLABLE to get a $100 Amazon gift card when you complete your next project. Learn more at lawclerk.legal. And we're back with Eric Farber, CEO, Chief Legal Officer of Pacific Workers' Compensation Law Center, talking about his book, The Case for Culture. Before we went to the break, I said I was going to ask you about the difference, the distinction you make um, and as you talk a lot about stakeholders and shareholders. Can you just talk a little bit about what those words mean in the context of culture, in the context of a law firm business? Yeah, I mean, we've already talked about, you know, really putting people first, yeah, as, I, yeah. as I call it. and. You know, for many, many years in this in this country and really worldwide, especially in publicly held companies, you know, Milton Friedman said, you know, the whole the whole purpose of a business is to generate profits, and so that's generating profits for the shareholders, of course. And so, you know, we've operated pretty much since I think he said that in about the 30s or 40s, and we've operated on that. In fact, it's gone further than that. Many states actually codify this. Uh-huh. Right? And, and make it mandatory that shareholders are put first. The idea of putting stakeholders first, which really goes back to Smith's The Wealth of Nations back in the 1800s, he said, you know, the whole focus of business should be on consumers. And that really was the, the focus for, for many years until Milton Friedman sort of shifted it. The idea of putting stakeholders first is it's stakeholders first and then shareholders that's everybody that the that the company touches. That's the employees. That's the clients. That's the vendors. 
everybody that you come into contact with as a company comes first. And if you can truly do that, if you can truly focus your energies on your team and make them feel valued, focus the money on your team as much as you possibly can, then the shareholders sort of win at the end, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I think I mean, that's the idea, right? Is that, that if, you, if you do these things, if you follow the concept of taking care of, of all those things, then the business should do better and the shareholders should do better as well. And I think like one of the problems with Friedman is it's, it's gotten, it's not only been followed, but it's gotten hyper to a hyper sensitive degree. Like, so not only our shareholders come first, but we've gone down to like where quarterly results are what come first. And I think you, you mentioned Simon Sinek, so I'll use some of his words, but there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of ethical erosion that happens as you pursue profits as a primary and then sometimes only pursuit. And what I think he showed and what I think you're talking about is at the end of the day, that ends up badly because you yes, when you don't very. take care of your employees when you don't take care of your vendors when you don't take care of your customers eventually they don't take care of you and your profits disappear usually precipitously and make you extremely vulnerable to disruption what did you learn what what, what do you talk about regarding that oh there's no question i mean we live by a set of values and simon sinek actually really details this well in his last book you know he talks about wells fargo And, you know, I've actually known Wells Fargo for a long time to be quite an amazing company, right? And and they were one of the few that sort of stuck to their values before the previous CEO and chairman and actually would have probably survived the crash in 2008 because they actually stuck to values. And then they did something like opened up accounts for people because without them knowing because their individuals had to make quarterly numbers. Yep. And that's where it all went bad. The ethics were just thrown out the window. And when there were certain people who actually brought it up at Wells Fargo, they fired them. For bringing up that there's a problem. They, they Absolutely. Yeah. So people do erode in the ethics and it, and it has a lot to do with what the, and it's always comes back to the leaders, right? Because you said this, this happened when the CEO changed. And you know, this brings us back to the conversation on culture, right? Culture, the culture changed, but the culture changed from the top. They, they asked and told and instructed everybody that to be very numbers focused. Mm-hmm. And so they did. I mean, they did what they were asked to do. Yeah, they were asked to, you know, and they, they, they didn't say, well, let me use an example in our business, in the current business that I'm in. We have thousands of clients. We have eight current case management teams, which we call them, which is a lawyer, a case manager, an assistant case manager. They have numbers that they've got to meet. But the overarching directive is maximize the cases for the clients. Right. So if you don't make your numbers, we don't come around to you and say, why the hell haven't you made your numbers? We say, is everything okay? Yeah. Right. We, we, there, there's nobody that is on the chopping block for not making their numbers. We, we started somebody recently as a new lawyer. He's probably been with us for like eight or 10 months, might be a little bit longer than that. For the first six months, he didn't make his numbers. We didn't say you're on the chopping block and you're going to get fired because we knew he was working hard and the rest of the, the, rest of the people are going to make up for it because we believed in him. And we wanted to make sure that even though he was getting really, you know, so almost depressed about it, we, as I always say, you're here because I believe in you, 
even on the days that you don't believe in yourself. That's beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, earlier I butchered the Peter Drucker quote, um, and you you fixed it for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. But, you know, we talk about that and and we're talking about culture through your research and through what, you're, what you've written about. What, what do you think that means? What does that mean to you that culture eats strategy for breakfast? Because certainly we spend a lot of time in our businesses talking about strategy. So what do you mean by this? Well, you know, I have done an enormous amount of research on that quote. And I'll give you the number one thing that I found. Peter Drucker didn't actually say it. (laughs) (laughs) He's credited with it, but it was a couple of guys who were business writers. And somehow, I've never been able to sort of make the leap of how he got credited. And he never, through all his years, never said, you know, I actually said it. So, um, but what does that mean? That, That means if you hire the right people, if you create a great a great culture, if you if you lead with a great mission, which is all these sort of basic things, if your company has principle principles and is principled, then it doesn't really matter what business you're in, which is the strategy side, right? Right. Because you're going to have people that are all going to be focused on the goal of serving the client, so to speak. I was in a, you know, we have gone from working with athletes and entertainers to workers' comp for pro athletes to workers' comp for broad-based and really serving them in very different ways. Sure. And we've gone through a lot of people to get to our core people, and we're actually about 50 people now. Wow, Um, yeah. We know that hiring the right people, it really doesn't make any difference. I literally could say, hey, we're going to be in the real estate business tomorrow and, and we would be fine. So you, you say that, and I think you're, you're, you're helping me segue to my next question, but you're, you're saying your hiring practice is very much around the cultural fit of the person with, the, with your culture and not so skills-based, not can they do the job because you feel like you can get that in them regardless? Absolutely. I mean, we... Our hiring process, which comes from a guy named Adam Robinson, who wrote the book, The Best Team Wins, which I I highly recommend. I don't know Adam Robinson at all, but he owes me because I I probably talk about his book more (laughs) than anybody else's. He actually has a hiring platform called called Hireology. So I'm going to ask people and vet people essentially the same way, whether they're coming in as a senior lawyer or they're coming in as somebody scanning the mail. I'm looking for a cultural fit, which really to me means a values fit. Of course, right. I want them to be able to be able to write a sentence with a, you know, without grammatical errors. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on what are, they, what are they looking for themselves. So and we do testing, we do cognitive testing, but we are leading with the culture from the first, from the job post, and it even goes before that, right? We're really looking at what are the skill sets for, for particular jobs, not the hard skill sets, but the soft skill sets. Yeah, yeah. You know, who's empathetic? Are they truly empathetic? What do they want to hmm. do every day? Are they okay with being on the phone every day? If you're not okay with sitting at a desk every day, you probably shouldn't be in a law firm if you, you know, what you really want is to be outside in the sunshine. Right, right. Right. So, yeah. you know, one of our, one of our, skill tests, I guess, is, and this is one that I actually came up with. So Adam, you can add this to your book next time, or your (laughs) next book, is we said, 
we essentially wrote a quick thing and said, uh, the governor of California, we're out in California, the governor of California, Ryan Gosling, we actually use that, needs a new chief of staff. And he has asked his executive assistant to, you know, get a recommendation from your former boss at Pacific Workers. Please write your recommendation. And I think it says something like, pretend it's 10 years from now. Right. And please write your recommendation. So it gets them to focus on what type of individual do they want to be while they're at our company. And so we're sort of leading with what's expected of them if they come in. That makes total total sense. And they're also projecting, like they're, they're showing you, by talking about the future, they're showing you where, where they would want to go and how they'd want to grow. Exactly. We're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, I do want to talk to you a little bit more about this. But in the last segment, I want to talk to you about what, what you mean by culture fit for growth. And then I want to leave our listeners with a couple of things of, uh, that are more topical to the times. I know you've uh, moved to a remote work environment and uh, have some thoughts around uh, managing law firms in a crisis like the one we're in. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But first, we'll hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be back in just a minute. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7-365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com forward slash LTN. Welcome back. We're talking with Eric Farber. We've been talking about culture in law firm businesses and the case for culture. He's a CEO of his own uh, law firm business, uh, Pacific Workers Compensation Law Center, but also the author of The Case for Culture. Let me just ask you, first of all, you talk in your book about a culture fit for growth. And uh, that was just intriguing to me. I think it would be for our listeners. So I wanted to see if you could expound on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, when we were building, I really wanted to pay people more. I knew that without paying people more, they really weren't going to stick around. I mean, that was sort of a first, right? Yeah. If uh, you, can, you can have the best culture around, but if you're paying 12 bucks an hour to people who do hard work every day for you, they ain't going to be there for long. But I realized, you know, at a company like ours, which is we're, we're, we're high volume workers comp, that we really couldn't do that unless we grew because it's, you know, just the margins. So building a culture was about growing. Building a culture fit for growth is, is getting everybody else on board, having great you know, days of onboarding, having a mentorship program, having them really understand that if they jump in and lean in and put, you know, play full out, so to speak, they're going to be with you for a long time, that they know that the seat they sit in is just temporary, that there's the speed at which they sort of move to the next seat and that the next level is kind of up for them. Not everybody likes that, right? So some people want their seat to stay exactly the same. So I think that's a really no great test. Yes, absolutely. But we do look for people who are sort of ambitious, right? Yeah. Uh, John Morgan says, look for greedy people. I like greedy <laughs> people, right? That's great. Sometimes it's a little bit too much, right? But we wanted to create a culture with great training, great training platforms. One of my dreams is, you know, hopefully not dashed completely, but it'll keep, you know, it'll keep going after the zombie apocalypse, as I'm calling it. But we just promoted somebody, we finally sort of had the space and the extra money, we just promoted who I think is sort of 
the person that fits our culture better than anybody else, and I talk a lot about her in the book, uh, Carla, mm-hmm. um, to the director of training and culture. Fantastic. Yeah. And so all she's going to be working on is training people when they first come in, onboarding them, helping onboard them, setting up these training platforms, but also kind of being that den mother to everybody who's there, including the lawyers, right? It's, it's sometimes hard to get these lawyers to sort of open up and say, oh, you know, even participating in, in things. We actually make it part of the job description with the lawyers to participate in our craziness of our firm. Yeah. You've got a culture czar, which is fantastic. Exactly. How do you think you're, the culture you've built, you said it's because we have a strong team. Well, I think they understand that communication and team building is not going to go away just because they're not sitting next to each other. And that we're trying to work on very specific protocols as a leader of your law firm. And I think you've probably got a lot of law firm leaders listening to this right now. Yeah, absolutely. This is crisis time. There's going to be sort of two different ways. If you, you know, get on the phones or if you're just sending emails to your team, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You've got to be very clear in your messaging. You've got to be calm in your messaging. You've got to be direct. You know, the, I talk a lot of in the book about, you know, sort of bringing everybody into the fold, letting them ask questions, letting them direct and be autonomous um, over their job. And then there's times you need to sort of be a dictator and say, this is what we're doing. There's a little bit of that right now because look, there's so much uncertainty. Right now, I'm in the Bay Area. You're in New York. We're on lockdown by order. It's an unprecedented time, almost in humanity, in modern times, certainly. So your people are scared. They don't know if they're going to have a job next week. You got to be very honest, very direct compassionate and empathetic to what they're going through because you know as a lawyer that you might have some hard times but you're going to get through this some of your people might only have high school educations and we're about to go to some pretty unprecedented levels of unemployment we already have in the bay area so this is an unprecedented time and this is when it's going to take unprecedented leadership and we're not seeing it in the same way that I think, you know, not trying to be political, but I don't feel like Jack Kennedy is standing up there. Yeah. Your admonition to the law firm leaders that are listening is how do they lead their people through this? That's, that's absolutely right. This is not just about a leader, you know, making some statements and, you know, having a Christmas party or a holiday party or sitting down with them once a year and saying, here's a raise. This is about true leadership you know, I talk a lot about in the book is the values that your company projects can be a safe haven to the crazy values that our current culture has, mm-hmm. right? To the reality TV shows, to the unprecedented levels of greed, to the, to the craziness that is out there. They can walk in the doors and feel safe. If safety is a core of culture, now is your time to be a real leader. And now is your time to make them feel as safe as you can. Now's your time to use words like we. Now's your time to use words like these are unprecedented times, but we're going to do whatever we can. And we're going to have a question and answer session and check in with them in real ways every day and maybe try to do things like group stretching, 
right? Yeah. To try to make them feel like they're still sitting next to each other. We are using Zoom. Love Zoom. Should probably buy some stock. Yeah. Um, might be the only thing that, la- you know, that, that keeps up. This is your time. And as leaders, it's your time to be calm, take care of yourself, eat right, meditate, exercise, go on walks, because you're going to need the creativity to figure out different ways to lead. And you're going to need the creativity to figure out how to come out this bigger than all your competition. Right. And I think that's, that's a key point. I want to leave our folks, I think, with that because, and then I want everybody that's listening to understand that, that, listen, we as lawyers, at the end of the day, different law firms, different cultures, but we all do, we all share one thing in common. And that is uh, what we are as problem solvers. We solve people's problems. We solve business problems. We solve people problems. And not for nothing. This pandemic and the response to it are causing a lot of problems that we as lawyers are specifically able to help with. So the opportunities are out there. And if you can communicate that as part of the safety message that Eric's talking about, I think, and and, and then really go out there and find those things and find those opportunities, you can lead your people and your business through this. Very much. Well, well stated, Chris. (laughs) <laughs> My pleasure. And thanks so much for sharing your your thoughts on culture and, and your book. I encourage everybody to get it, The Case for Culture by Eric Farber, our guest here. Um, also, I just want to mention, we did mention another book. We never was specific, but Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. Certainly recommend that as well for some great thinking. Eric, thanks so much. Thank you. That wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Business Advisory Podcast. Our guest again has been Eric Farber. Eric is the CEO and Chief Legal Officer of Pacific Workers Compensation Law Center and the author of The Case for Culture. And Eric, if people want to learn more from you, you know, have any questions for you that uh, we didn't cover because you know, we only have this short time together um, or about the book, um, what's the best way for them to get more information? Well, we do have a website for the book called thecaseforculture.com. I have a reading list that I am putting out to people. If they want to sign up, I think they can get a free chapter of the book and sign up for the reading list. kind of summarizes several things, thecaseforculture.com. I'm on Twitter, not overly active, but it's Real Eric Farber. Facebook, you can hit me up at Eric Farber. LinkedIn, same thing. Email, if people want to email me, you know, I don't have a consulting firm. I want to be clear about that. I'm not trying to sell you anything but the book, and I'll probably give some of those out for free as well. But Eric at PacificWorkers.com, you can reach me and feel free to. I'm happy to help people through this time as much as we can. And this is Christopher Anderson. I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. And everybody, stay safe and be good. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. 
Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu interactive or download PLI's mobile app.